is stress and anxiety, are they contagious? A new study suggests absolutely, which probably doesn't come as a surprise to an awful lot of people who know that, for example, kids who are around people who are suffering from anxiety start becoming anxious. If you work in an office place with somebody who suffers from anxiety, who's always filled with self-doubt, you may also find yourself starting to be filled with self-doubt. J.D. Baines is director of the Kremble Research Institute, a senior scientist at the Kremble Brain Institute at the University Health Network. It's uh, nice to have you, sir. Yeah, great to be here, John. Okay, I could have told you this. You didn't even have to do the research. I don't know how complicated a study this was, but I found out that anxiety was contagious myself because I was working with stressed out people, and I ended up being all stressed out, and I thought... Yeah, this is this is because the people around me are completely tense. Right. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's something that we uh, think about a lot. It's something that many of us are very, very tuned to. Right. Um, That's the other thing that's interesting and quite fascinating about this topic is that uh, we seem to have different levels of sensitivity uh, to the stress or emotional states of others. What methodology did you use, though? I mean, this is kind of a, a tough thing to to prove because it's something you can't necessarily measure. I mean, it's not like saying this is how many volts of electricity we're dealing with. Therefore, this is how much stress we're dealing with. Yeah. You know, the, the, the field in, in general has used a number of different approaches. So for folks who work um, with people, they've used things like measuring um, heart rate or respiration and things like that to just see if there's a general arousal response. And that tells you uh, something about people's stress levels. Um, but we know these uh, stress, res- uh, this ability to sense stress is preserved in the, in the animal kingdom. And so folks who do um, out in the wild who work with animals or people in a lab who do preclinical work um, are able to look at um, uh, things like hormone levels to see how they change. Uh, they can go and look at different circuits in the brain to see uh, how are these changes being uh, encoded in the brain. So how did you measure it? Because I think one of the important aspects of this is the timeline. Like, do you get stressed because you're in a room with somebody else who is stressed? Or do you get stressed because you spend a year with somebody who is stressed? So the, the answer is probably both. I think it's probably different types of stress. So I think it, it's, it's important uh, to understand that, you know, acute stress or short-term stress um, is usually something... Uh, that for the most part is largely beneficial. It's going to get you out of a jam. It's going to help you uh, deal with the things that are immediately in front of you, right? Those those time crunches, those challenges. Whereas chronic stress, that stress that never seems to end, um, the stress that just kind of builds over and over and over, those types of stresses actually um, have um, remarkably negative consequences for behavior, right? So those are the ones that, that really show up when you start to think about uh, anxiety disorders or people with depression. It's this chronic, low-lying uh, stress that never seems to go away. Are there comparables? Because, for example, being around a relentlessly positive person also mm-hmm. seems contagious. Yeah, no, we, we think about this idea a lot and, and, and we get asked this question a lot about whether the transmission of emotion is bi-directional. Does positive transfer just like negative does? And so far, what we've come across in our reading of the literature and, and thinking through experiments is that it's not equally bi-directional. In other words, it appears to be easier to transmit uh, information about a negative emotional state like stress 
but relatively difficult to transmit information about positive states. That's not to say it doesn't happen. It does happen. We see, you know, when people are in a good mood or people are laughing, that it's a very contagious thing. But does that have long-term consequences? Um, that is less clear, and it's a very difficult study to, to try to set up. So what can people do? What are sort of protective measures that people can take? Are there? Yeah, we've been thinking a lot about this too, right? So so some of them, again, you know, a lot of this we anecdotally know to be to be accurate for people. Some people, you know, are really good at, at managing stress through engaging in things like exercise. So this is a great, great way to manage uh, acute, uh, even chronic stress. There's emerging evidence that exercise helps kind of reset brain circuits and helps your brain kind of, you know, uh, uh, dispel the changes that, that, that maybe happen during stress. Um, another one that we're interested in the lab is starting to look at um, pre um, uh, what we call hedonic stimuli in the lab. For example, you know, there's the classic like eat chocolate when you're stressed or after you've been stressed and it makes you feel better. So it turns out that, that, that there's a really strong emerging neurobiology around this idea that, that pleasure centers in the brain when they get activated help to kind of offset uh, some of the effects of stress. Okay, but whiskey, maybe not the right option? Yeah, whiskey we haven't done yet, but, you know, to each his own. <laughs> Thank in you, moderation. sir. All things in moderation. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful to talk with you. Yeah, I great talking to you as well. Thank you. J.D. Baines is at the University Health Network.